The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Before we get to today's episode, I want to tell you about our party that we're having this Friday night. It's the first ever Five Reason Sports Dolphins Watch Party. They're going to be up in Carolina for a preseason game. We will be at the Texas Roadhouse in Miramar. That's just west of I-75 on Miramar Parkway. We're taking over the outside bar. It is free. We're going to have some free appetizers. We'll also have drink specials on beer, also on margaritas. Of course, we've got to have $5, Five Reasons. Patron margaritas. We will have those going on all night. Giveaways. We've got two Dolphins tickets to give away for the first regular season game. We'll be raffling those off. So definitely come and check it out. Hosts from all over the network. You can hide from the hosts you don't like. You can sit down and chat football or basketball or whatever with the ones that you do like. It's your choice. So come out Friday night, Texas Roadhouse, Miramar, Five Reasons, Watch Party. And now on with the episode. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Whittingham. Now that you have found us, make sure that you subscribe. All that means is basically hitting the subscribe or follow button on whatever whatever app you are using, whether it's Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, CastBox. Also, check out all of the other podcasts in our network, especially this week, the football podcast. If you haven't checked out the Fish Tank O.J. McDuffie hosts that one with Seth Levitt. They just had Tony Eggwis on, the longtime equipment manager. Terry Kirby is on the episode this week. And two weeks ago, it was Zach Thomas. All right, we're going to get right to our guy today that we brought on here to the podcast. We've been waiting to do this. Actually, we've been fighting over you a little bit, Richmond. We've got three podcasts in the network that wanted to have you on. We've got Richmond Webb, seven-time Pro Bowler. You know him as the longtime left tackle of the Miami Dolphins. And... I want to start here with you, Richmond, before we get to the current team and some of your career. Why aren't you in the Hall of Fame yet? Uh, I think it's going to probably take maybe someone that has a vote. Uh, normally, I think sometime after you've been in the pool for a while, it's going to take a writer that has a vote uh, as far as one of the Hall of Fame votes to make a case of why you actually deserve to be in there. So I think until that happens, it, it always helps when people continue to tweet you know, Facebook, social media is a powerful tool. So as long as someone is keeping your name out there, I think that definitely helps. That I know once one of the writers that have a vote, if they kind of make a case for you, that definitely will definitely help as well. And that's sort of one of the frustrating things I have to imagine is that it's kind of up to other people to do it for you rather than you kind of having any control over it. But one of the things that I feel like is a hindrance is that even though you were incredible at your job, you played on teams that didn't necessarily go all the way and win Super Bowls. And generally, you know, Brian Urlacher gets to be a famous linebacker because he played in teams that went to the Super Bowl and were incredible defenses. But you were always exceptional at your job. And even though it's a team game, does it frustrate you at all that that your achievements don't necessarily get as recognized because of what was happening around you? I wouldn't say it frustrates me. It kind of um, it kind of puzzles you at times because uh, you're right, it is a team sport. And um, 
a lot of times there are many factors that go into, you know, why you don't, you know, make it deep into the, uh, the postseason, the playoffs, and, and, and make those accomplishments that, you know, I played with several guys that were, you know, um, probably Hall of Fame guys or guys that's highly recognized around the league as, as being some of the best players to ever play the game. So um, it puzzles you at time, but um, I know it does carry weight sometimes for guys that's played in multiple Super Bowls and stuff like that, but that that's kind of out of my control. You know, it's not like golf where you're responsible as an individual, it's a team sport, and sometimes you just get caught up in it. But um, I, I'm always proud of the guys I play with, and I will go to war with them at any time. So um, that that doesn't that doesn't phase me too much. But um, that's just the way I look at it. Well, Richmond Webb is in the Dolphins honor roll. Um, that was 2006 that he was put in there. And I want to go back to the beginning with you before we get into some stuff uh, with the current team. Richmond was drafted in 1990. Um, and that year was actually a, a pretty interesting draft. I'm sure you remember who went first that year, right, Richmond? Jeff George. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, Jeff George was first. Uh, Blair Thomas was second. And then actually there were two hall of famers uh, that were chosen before you Cortez Kennedy, third overall and junior Seau mm-hmm. who ended up playing uh, for the dolphins for a couple of years, uh, fifth overall. But, you know, as you want to take you back to your sort of your first training camps, because you went to a team uh, in 1990 that, that already had a, a quarterback who was an all world quarterback. And you already had a guy who was an all, all world coach um, that drafted you that brought you there in Marino and Shula. Take us back to your first interactions with each of them. I think the first time you kind of meet, um, I saw, you know, Coach Shula, I always knew him. Uh, grew up in Dallas, so I was a big Dallas Cowboy fan growing up. But, you know, that changed once I got drafted by the Dolphins. But I always knew of uh, Coach Shula and his record. Um, I always knew about Dan Marino because he used to play on Monday Night Football all the time. So, um, it wasn't like a big surprise or anything, but it's kind of like, you know, you, you get an opportunity to meet somebody like that. And it's kind of like, is it real or is it, is it not real? So I was, I was definitely in awe of meeting those two guys. And then you walk in the huddle and then you got Mark Duke and Mark Clayton. And then you kind of reflect back and said, man, I remember watching these guys on TV and now I'm actually standing, you know, right next to these guys. So, um, it was, uh, uh, Omelin experience, and I guess I was kind of starstruck, but um, learned a lot from those guys, and just uh, <laughs> uh, it was kind of breathtaking, I guess, if you kind of really think about it. Like, I'm actually here, and you know, I actually made it, so um, uh, it, was, it, it was weird, but it was a good thing at the same time. So, Richmond, OJ tells a story on his podcast about one of his first encounters with Marino, where basically Marino challenged him to a throwing competition um, and, you know, actually ended up paying up OJ at a meeting for for beating him. Dan's language can get a little salty at times. I know he can, he, he could, to put it mildly. Uh, and he, I know he could be rough on guys at times. How did he challenge you? Because, uh, again, we talk about earning trust. I mean, you had to earn the trust of the Pro Bowl quarterback, and clearly you did that. So uh, was that just stuff that happened on the field, like, uh, or, or were the things he said to you? How did that come about? Well, you, you know, Dan's always been a fiery guy, and, and you kind of learn that. Um, I think um, 
Uh, the thing with Dan was I can remember going through my first training camp and, you know, being two sounds of rookies, and, and we were on the left side, the blind side of the quarterback. And so, um, you know, you get a ton of information, the playbook thrown at you, so you got to try to remember not only plays from yesterday, but what you installed in either this morning or this afternoon's practice. So mentally you're getting challenged because, you know, it doesn't slow down. They just keep adding and adding. Um, Dan walks up to us uh, one day and he said, hey, what's the most important thing you got to remember? And so uh, me and Keith kind of look at each other and he's like, uh, you know, remember the play? And he's like, no, remember the snap count? You know, he's like, no. And so you kind of look and we get puzzled and he's like, the most important thing y'all got to remember is to protect me. And so we kind of look at each other and laugh. But, you know, it was a true statement that um, I, I think as you learn to play with Dan, you know, you know, he could be rough and, and, and this and that, but it was just his competitive will or edge to win. And once everybody understood that, it, it was no big deal. Rich, when I mentioned Keith, and I think that's a big part of this story here because uh, we don't see that very often where two highly drafted guys come in together, end up playing together for such a long period of time. It just doesn't happen that much these days. And also something we're going to get into a little later in the podcast. I mean, with the Dolphins difficulties in finding offensive linemen for the past 10 to 15 years to actually find two that had a lot of success and a lot of longevity is kind of a rare thing. Can you get into your friendship with Keith, your sort of relationship as players together and how much it helped you guys to have the other next to you all those years? We just communicated really well. You would have, you would have swore, man, Keith grew up together, you know, right next door to each other. It was, I'm telling you, it was just, it was just something special. And I don't think it could have worked out with anybody else like that. But from day one, it just, we just jailed. And we always, no matter how we sat, we always sat like we played on the field. So if he was, if he was at the left guard position, I was always seen just to his left. So it's always, and it wasn't intentional. It just seemed like we always sat down that way. And, and uh, man, it was it was great. And I'm glad that, you know, we got a chance to play together because he made my job a whole lot easier at times. And he was, he was an awesome player. So here's the one thing about uh, Keith. You know, you mentioned, you know, that you guys got along right away. He seems like he's a little, I don't know if louder is the word, but a little more talkative than you generally. Like, I mean, Keith can talk. Uh, it was, did, did you ever, I mean, when the two of you guys were together on the line, like, I mean, was he gabbing with you on the line a lot? Like, how did the communication work uh, with the two of you? Well, the communication was so good was that, um, and Keith is more talkative to me or more outspoken than I am. The thing that worked out really good was we played, beside each other, and we came up with where, say you have a scoop block or a double-team block, we would say something that wasn't that because, you know, defensive linemen pick up on that, and sometime before we leave the huddle, we'll be like, if it's this look, we'll just do this or whatever, and we would just say something crazy. But we already had a code to where we knew what that was or what we were going to do on that play, so it wouldn't give it away to the guys we were playing against. So our communication was outstanding and we kind of knew what each other were thinking. And sometimes we didn't have to say it. We could give each other a look and we kind of knew what each other were thinking. So that's why everything worked out so well for us. And Richmond. So we mentioned earlier how decorated you are as a player and, and we're talking about some of the dynamics, but I feel like in the modern game, there's a fairly constant conversation about how there just aren't enough 
quality offensive lineman in the game anymore. Uh, so what would you say made either your generation or you specifically as a player great? And what do you think is missing from modern-day offensive line play? This is what I think part of it is, and I could be wrong, but I think so many colleges and high schools are going to a spread offense, and a lot of linemen are in a two-point stance majority of the time that they play. So to get to the NFL, and now you have a pro-style offense, well, you're not going to be in a two-point stance first, second, third down majority of the time. So now you have to learn how to play out of a three-point stance. So it's not that they're bad offensive linemen. They just hadn't been taught as much the three-point stance. So now it might take that guy a little longer to develop because he's just been used to playing from an up stance and getting used to that. So I, I think that has probably slowed the development of um, – some offensive linemen as well as some quarterbacks, you know, I've heard where uh, some quarterbacks come out to spread, they can't take a um, snap from under center. It's just totally foreign to them. So um, when the high school and the, the some of the college, not everybody, but when, it, when it's a majority of people running a certain type of offense and then you got to transition into something totally different, I think sometimes that can um, slow down the learning process or the learning curve to where it takes a little bit longer to develop a player. Before we get back to today's podcast, I want to introduce you to another of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. And this is actually the official printer of the Five Reasons Sports Miami flagship. And that is Design Gnome Inc. It's spelled design, G-N-O-M-E, I-N-C, dot com. That is the website. The phone number is 786 786- 471-2580. Design Gnome specializes in high-quality screen printing, digital printing, embroidery, large format printing, and much more. You'll get on-time delivery, exceptional quality, competitive pricing, and no minimums. And I can speak to this directly because they've started to print a lot of stuff for our podcast and our network. Design Gnome, print everything. Rich, we want to take you back a little bit to some of those years. Um, and, and you guys had some good records during that period of time, but just could not sort of break through uh, and, and win a Super Bowl. Is there one moment? I have one that I think you may name because um, I remember it well, but it had to do with the game against San Diego. But is there kind of one moment that you thought, man, we're close? Like, I, I mean, you know, we, we have a chance to actually – uh, win a Super Bowl with this group, and it just didn't happen. Is there one game that you think about more than any other? I think the closest we got, uh, I don't think we played well that day, but uh, this is the AFC Championship game. And I really felt good about that game because, one, it was against Buffalo, but, two, it was against Buffalo, and we were at home. So typically with the crowd, you know, this and that, but for whatever reason, um, we end up losing that game. I don't think we played well. I don't remember. I remember losing. I don't remember everything about the aspects of the game because I knew that's the closest I got, and I knew if we win that game, we go to the Super Bowl, and it, it just always just kind of stuck with me because I remember, you know, just talking to Dan, and he would always reflect and say, "Hey, um, he went to the Super Bowl his rookie year." And he would say, after they lost, he was like, well, we'll just get back to next year. But he said, it's been like eight years, I think, by the time we got there. And he said, I hadn't been back. So he said, when you get that opportunity, you know, you got to take advantage of it because nothing's guaranteed. And I, I think that's what he was sharing with me. So I was listening to that. 
and to get that close and not make it. And that was the only time in my career that we got that close in the actual championship game to where, you know, we had a chance to experience that and we didn't. So um, that game definitely sticks out to me. And that was 1993 against Buffalo, 29 to 10 loss. So actually, we Chris and I actually commemorated that a couple of months ago when we did a story about the last 25 years for the Dolphins. It's actually 25 years since an AFC championship appearance. So like you're saying, I mean, you think you're going to get back, but sometimes it, it just doesn't happen. But with Buffalo, it wasn't just that game. I mean, you guys had a lot of battles against the Bills, and you had a lot of battles specifically against one of the greatest defensive ends of all time in Bruce Smith. So take us through, if you can, the approach. Like, you're, you're playing against Buffalo that week. You know you're getting them twice a year, once up in that place, right, and once down here. You, you may get them in the playoffs. It's a Monday. You finished another game, and now you're preparing. You're sort of turning the page to Buffalo. How do you prepare during the week for Bruce Smith? I think you basically, um, you know, it's going to be 60 minutes of hell. You already know that. You know, he's playing every snap as hard as he can, as possible as he can. And then the other thing, you know, is the Bills are playing against the Miami Dolphins, and that was just a natural rivalry um, even before I got there. And, and, and then I kind of understood because I, I went back, and then I think somebody told me that at one time the Dolphins beat the Bills like 20 times in a row. So I was like, oh, okay, it's a lot of black, bad, bad blood here. But um, just knowing the caliber player he was and knowing the, the, the type of team that they had, um, not only on defense, but on offense, they had, you know, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, Steve Tasker, uh, James Lofton. So, you know, they were known for putting up points, and we knew that it was going to be a sling out between most of the time between um, – Dan and uh, Jim, you know, they was going to go at it. And most of the time, that's the way it was. And um, I think my rookie year, we went to Buffalo up there, and I think we lost like 34 to 44. You think you scored 34, 35 points in a game, you got a pretty good chance to win. But, you know, it was Buffalo, and they had that K-gun, and they had tons of playmakers on both sides. And we would always seem to come up short against them with, but they went to four Super Bowls in a row. So, you know, you kind of look at that and say, you know, hey, uh, they they definitely were no slouches. But um, uh, to get back to what you were saying, Monday you come in, you look at it, Tuesday's your off day, Wednesday and Thursday, um, you kind of prepare. You look at the, you know, the stunts or whatever, the, the coaches kind of game plan, what we're going to try to do against them and what they might try to do against us. And then uh, – Try to get you a good night rest Saturday night because you know once it kicks off Sunday, it's gonna be on until the until the last tick of the clock. So um, I always knew it was gonna be um, from start to finish one of the toughest game I had to play it. And like you said, it was two, sometimes three times a year. So um, once you experience it the first time, you already know what you're gonna get because he's coming. You just got to be ready for it. Was there any other defensive end that I, I, no one scared Richmond Webb, but that that you were sort of going into again, going I've I've got a I've got a tough sixty minutes. Who was the defensive end that most made you feel that way? Oh, no question, it was it was Bruce Smith, and it, it was because I had to face him. But you know, um, I think my rookie year, um, I played against uh, Bruce Smith, uh, Chris Dolman, uh, Clyde Simmons from the Eagles. 
uh, Richard Dent, Eric Thomas, um, Andre Tippett. From yeah, it, it, it just <laughs> I just learned that it, it every week is somebody else. Oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every every week it was just somebody else. So you better be prepared because it's coming. And guys just took you know if they could get a sack on Marino, that was just something. That was like a a trophy. So you knew guys were going to be coming to try to get him. But you just prepared whether it was Blue Smith or whatever. You knew. You, you was going to have your hands full. And a lot of time they would rotate guys in and out because we threw the ball a lot of time. And once defense linemen get tired, mm-hmm. it gets a little easier. But now they send a fresh guy in. You're like, man, I just got this guy tired. Here comes somebody else. So um, <laughs> you just you just, you just just had to prepare for it. But it, wasn't, it was never easy, I'll tell you that. Well, all right. So I got two questions on this, Bruce. Uh, and and um, excuse me, I have two questions on this Richmond. I got Bruce in my mind right now, um, which I'm sure you did some of those some of those Sundays. Um, first one is, do you remember how many? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game. I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash Miami Heat. Any sacks Bruce had going against you? I do, and it's only because I've heard other people research it, but I think they said in 14 games, it's three or four sacks. I can't remember, so I know it's something like that. So I said 14 games, I think he has, he's been credited with like four sacks or something like that. Well, that, I mean, for a guy that averaged, I th- what did Bruce average? Like 13 or 14 a year, right? So, like, I mean, in, in 16 games, that's that's pretty good um, to, to only allow three or four. And the other question I'd have is, you mentioned it was kind of a trophy to sack Marino, kind of like it's a trophy these days to sack Brady. So after Marino would get sacked, which didn't happen very often, in part because of his release and in part because you were protecting him, but how did he look at you afterwards? Like, did you try to avert his eyes? Did he yell? Like what, what, how, you know, when, when Dan's getting up, like what was Richmond Webb's approach after Bruce Smith beat him for one of those three sacks? My approach is you got to get back and play the next play. Um, um, you can't sit there and focus on that play because one bad play will turn into two, two will turn into five, five to turn into 10. And you definitely don't want that. So, a lot of time when you have a bad play, whether it's run play or pa- uh, passing play, you got to put that that play out. And I think Dan approaches the same way. Um, you know, if he got sacked, he was getting up and saying, "Okay, instead of it being second and six, we might be third and ten. So I got to get the first down. We just got to keep the chains moving. You know, you want to win, win the win the war. Don't necessarily win, focus so much on the battle. So. I think that's just part of the game. You know, sometimes guys going to get beat this and I think he understood that. 
and just said, okay, let's recover, forget, recover from that. That's over with. Let's keep going. We want to introduce you to our newest partner, which like us is Pure South Florida. That's Doral Toyota, where you can find all of your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. That's 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years of complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. Also, in-house financing is available for credit-related issues. If you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129, that's 305-680-1129, or stop into the dealership, you work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go. All right, Rich, we want to transition now to the current team. And you talk about 1993, that being the last AFC championship game. And obviously, it's been a while since the Dolphins have won a playoff game at all, um, going back, you know, all the way to Lamar Smith's game. You know, that's you know almost 20 years ago at this stage. And a big issue during that period of time has been finding a consistent offensive line. And it's not like they haven't invested resources in it. They drafted... A, a left tackle, number one overall in 2008, Jake Long over Matt Ryan. They've drafted in recent years Mike Pouncey, Laramie Tunsil, Juwan James in the first round. They've drafted a ton of guards in the third and fourth round over the years. They spent a lot of money on free agents like Justin Smiley and Jake Grove, who didn't work out. So for you, as you're watching this, and you know how you had consistency with Keith Sims, and you guys had a very, very good line for a long period of time, particularly in pass protection. What do you think has been the issue here over the past, say, 10-plus I can say one of the things that definitely stuck out to me was um, I remember when I first got there, um, Jeff Ulenake and Jeff Dellenbach, um, the main Ulenake was the center. Keith was the guard. I was a tackle. But um, we played together a bit. And uh, on the right side, it was Mark Dennis and Harry Galbraith. But we didn't have a lot of injuries, and we kind of stayed together more. I, I think the last – I know I, I might can go back 10, but it seems like they've had a lot of injuries in the offensive line where guys have had to be shuffled in, shuffled out, shuffled in, shuffled out. Um, so our guys go from one position to the next position, and it's due to injuries. And I think guys, they just had not had an offensive line that just stayed healthy for a consistent period of time. And I think that has reflected in some of the results they've had because, you know, you get used to playing to a guy, then you get a new guy in. And if you if your communication ain't right, it's going to make everything tougher. So um, I think injuries have played a huge part in that. Maybe not all, but I know that definitely has, I think, affected some of the offensive line play for the Dolphins over the last several years. How much of quality offensive line play is down to the five guys as opposed to the individuals within the five? Because because what you're saying is is that because they can never really develop a team cohesion, then that like that that's why they haven't been so good. So even if necessarily the five individual offensive linemen aren't exceptional players, like you know what the Cowboys have or something, that you can still manufacture good line play if they play well together. I definitely agree with that because. Uh, a huge part of that is communication, and 
it's not like five guys have five individual blocks. A lot of times you work together on double teams or, you know, this guy has a pull and you have to block back. You know, it changes on different plays. And if you don't have that cohesiveness, um, it, 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 it can it can it can definitely show signs of reflecting. That's one of the quickest ways. If your offensive line plays not that well, it's gonna show up and it's not gonna be hard for everybody to see because the offense is definitely gonna struggle. With that being said, there are certain individuals we want to focus on with you here a little bit, and particularly the current left tackle, Laramie Tunsil, because we saw his first year, him coming to the pros as a first round pick, highly touted player, played guard, played well. Then was moved to left tackle last year, you know, after they moved on from a veteran, gave the job to Tunsil, and it was a little bit up and down. I'm just curious, as you're evaluating him, you know what it takes to play that position. Where does he need to make strides so he can be someone who's there for the next seven, eight, nine years? I think he's the right guy. Um, um, I think uh, he did struggle at times uh, last year. Um, But... uh, you know, we did lose Tannehill, too, and then we ended up signing Jake Cutler, so he kind of got through into the fire. He's a veteran quarterback, but still, you know, not being there, a guy that was possibly retired and then come in and, you know, try to fill that gap, um, you know, that was tough. So um, I think this year, you know, Tannehill's healthy, you know, everybody's healthy and stuff. I'm going to be looking for him to have a, a good, solid year because I watched him when he was at Ole Miss and um, – I have high expectations for him. He definitely can play the game. It's just, you know, as long as he has everything together mentally and physically, and I think he was hurt a little bit last year too. If I'm not, I thought I read something about that. Maybe it was the year before. But uh, injuries definitely can impact your performance as well. But he kind of fought through it and played through it. But um, as long as he's healthy and stuff like that, I'm expecting for him to have a good solid year and definitely be one of the best players for the Dolphins. So from a technique uh, standpoint, Richmond, like, I mean, does he have good technique? Because, you know, we see a lot of guys come in, particularly if they're moving from one position to another, it takes them a little time to get consistent with that. Do you do you like what you see from that perspective, just the way he moves his feet, the way he works uh, with other guys on the line? And, and I guess secondarily, we talk a lot about having someone next to you can trust. They, they spent a lot of money this offseason on Josh Sitton, to play left guard, and, and he, was, he had a very, very good year last year if you look at sort of all the numbers on him and what he did. So I guess those two questions, you know, Laramie's technique and also how much do you think it helps to have a consistent pro next to him at the left guard spot? I think that definitely helps. I, I think with him being a rookie and he come in, he played uh, – he, he went from left tackle to left guard. He played next to Brandon Albert, and he was established, you know, left tackle veteran, he played well, and then he moved out to left tackle last year, and like you said, he struggled a little bit, this and that, but having a good quality, you know, guy veteran, this and that, two guys is supposed to be pretty good players, you normally feed off each other, and, you know, it's kind of competitive, you see this guy playing well, I want to play at least just as well as the guy that's playing next to me, I don't want to be, I never wanted to be considered the weak link, so, you know, with me playing against playing right beside Keith Sims and I know he was going, you know, he was going to ball out every Sunday. It put pressure on me to say, Hey, if Keith's going to do it. Then I got to do it as well. So I think it wasn't really a competition, but um, we held the standard high. And as long as you got somebody like that, I think it'll definitely help. But um, like I said, I'm looking for him to have a good year this year. 
Um, you know, he slipped in the draft, but he was supposed to easily be a top five pick. And uh, he's a prototype. He's got the size, the arms, the length, everything. So I'm looking for him to have a good year. And in terms of the team, uh, I would imagine you're uh, you're you're interested in, in what they're going to look like this upcoming season. Is there uh, an aspect of the team that you're most looking forward to, to having a look at? And and generally, what's your outlook on how they're going to do this year? Yeah, I, I'm looking for them. I, li- I like the things they did in, in the draft. Uh, Fitzpatrick. Um, I can't pronounce the tight end's name, but just some of the clips I've seen, he's Kasiki. very athletic. So, yeah, okay, Kasiki. Um, <laughs> I, I apologize, but I, I'm glad you helped me out with that one. But um, with Tannehill Benning, get 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 the ball to him. You know, he can. That's a mismatch for either uh, a linebacker or safety. So that gives you another outlet. You know, you got Parker, you got Steels, this and that. So. Anytime you get guys out there, the more playmakers you have, you can get the ball in their hands. It makes the offense go. So, um, and Tannehill's back. I'm looking, you know, high expectations for him. You know, he's uh, one of my Aggie brothers. He's young. He was probably in diapers when I was at and He might not have been here. <laughs> but uh, I always want to see my fellow Aggies do good. So, I'm looking for um, offensively for it to really come together and, and the Dolphins hit a stride and, 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 and make the playoffs this year. I think that he was two when you were drafted. So yeah, I I, I don't think he probably remembers your play, but uh, but, no, but, he... <laughs> but 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 definitely there's uh, definitely there's a there, there's I know that there's some kinship there. Uh, Want to close with two things here with your Richmond, and again follow him at Richmond Webb. Really appreciate his time. Actually, we're gonna do three things with you. Uh, we can do these sort of rapid fire. The first one is who's the most underrated teammate that you ever played with? Who's the guy in Dolphins history from that era that you don't think gets enough credit? Ooh, and, and, I, don't say, and, don't, and don't say Keith because I, you know, because Keith will be talking. No, about no, no, no. I, I, I wasn't going to say Keith, and uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, and uh, it just hit my mind when you said that that um, I have a lot of good teammates, but I'm going to say Tim Bowens, and um, mm. Tim Bowens came in as a rookie, and um, you know, kind of like shock the world, this and that. And then um, uh, always one of the best defensive tackles, I think, to play the game. And then, uh, you know, we got Zach and uh, JT, all those guys came with the younger guys. But we had um, Tim Bowens and Darrell Gardner. And um, those guys were a lot of time having to take on double teams. And that allowed Zach to make the play and stuff like that. But, um I would say Tim Bowens didn't uh, – a lot of people don't know how actually good he actually was. But if you ask um, Zach or, or Sam Madison or Sertan or JT, he's highly respected, you know, throughout uh, the team. He was he was one that put it down. So, yeah, he was, he was, he was a grown man, I'll tell you that. Yeah, he had that strength that other guys definitely did not have. And Zach did thank him every single time he did an interview. So, I mean, Zach certainly appreciated him. Uh, we we un- we understood it. And actually, I think Timbo is going to make an appearance on the fish tank. So uh, Tim has stories. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So looking forward to that. <laughs> so some of those stories, I don't know if they can tell even on the fish tank, but we're, we'll uh, we'll see what we could do with those. Uh, the second question I had for you is you mentioned JT. Let's take Richmond mm-hmm. Webb in his prime. Let's take Jason Taylor in the 18 and a half sack season 2002. 
I believe it was 2003, actually, the year they just missed the playoffs. Richmond Webb lined up against Jason Taylor. How do you stop Jason Taylor from getting to Dan Marino? I didn't have to do that because Jason was on my team. So if he got a second <laughs> practice, it, w- it wouldn't count. So that's how I, hey, that's a, that's an easy one. He could have got 25. It wouldn't have mattered to me. Cause I'm like, hey, you know, you can't hit Dan because we're in practice fit. Um, you know, JT was just, you know, a, a joy to play with. And I think I was in my, my seventh year or whatever, but I could tell early on that he was going to be that special type of player. And he had that, that playmaker ability when the game was on the line or you needed to swing the momentum. He would always make that sack or sack fumble or, or make a big play to kind of turn the thing around. And uh, I was so happy when he went in the Hall of Fame because he was definitely deserving of that. So I, I love JT. I got a huge ton of respect for him. Yeah, great player. I remember Richmond when he came in and, and uh, I was talking to some guys on the team and they're like, hey, he's too pretty to be a defensive end. Like that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's, that's never going to work. And then uh, we see he's a first ballot uh, Hall of Famer, obviously. Um, and the third question here, so I'm going to start where we finish. I'm or, excuse me. I'm going to finish where we started. So you said we need to get a for, for you to get in the Hall of Fame. There needs to be a campaign going. We're going to do this campaign here at Five Reasons Sports. We started already, but I know you're modest. I know you don't tout yourself. Offensive linemen typically don't, and you never did during your career. You just you know, Dan Dan didn't get sacked, and so nobody had to talk to Richmond about it because nothing bad happened, and that was a great thing. But Give us your case. Um, why do you think that you you should be considered for the Hall of Fame? You know, I just look at it just – I think my resume speaks for myself and um, not only be highly regarded by um, former teammates, but former guys that played, played the game that I respect that, you know, have mentioned that, you know, you should be there. And, and some of the guys that actually have went in there were offensive linemen thought that, you know, I was deserving of that honor. So when it comes from those type of caliber guys or whatever, I'll I'll let somebody else do it. But, you know, I think my resume speaks for myself. And I think, you know, any of my teammates, they knew that it was always a team first with me and what I could do to help the team versus, you know, individual accolades. That was never me. So um, that's all you're going to probably get out of me. But um, (laughs) that's just the way I look at it. We're going to work with that. I'll, I'll, I'll start with that. Okay. I guess I guess if, if modesty helps you get in the Hall of Fame, that'll certainly help you. Um, and final thing before we let you go, with today's rules, okay, where you can't touch receivers, you can't hit receivers, all of that stuff, they protect the quarterbacks. How many yards does Dan Marino throw for in a season? Oh, maybe 6,000. Um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just crazy. Um, man, uh, it, you know, I, I look at it, and I do understand the player safety um, issue. They're trying to protect guys. I, I get that, and I, but I guess you got a helmet rule out now that it's just – I understand the safety aspect, but I, I do understand in football, certain moves, this and that, that certain, certain contact could be unintentional, and for a guy to get penalized for that, I'm just wondering how it's going to affect the game. So um, they're making it really tough. I'm just glad. Well, I wasn't going to say I'm glad I don't play defense, but now offensively you can get hit with the same um, penalty with the helmet rule or whatever. So I, I just got to see. Hopefully it doesn't slow the game down too much with too many penalties or whatever. I just got to see. But that one there is kind of – I was like, man, sometimes you can leave well enough alone, but I'm, I'm going to see how it plays out. 
I'm guessing Dan would say 10,000, but uh, but I think 6,000 <laughs> is a good place to start. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking maybe averaging about 550 yards a game. I, I just I can't imagine what, uh, especially when you can't do certain things to receivers. If he had Duper and Clayton today, two five nine yeah. guys running around. Uh, that wouldn't I, be right. It, it wouldn't be right. Yeah, that, I, I agree. That wouldn't be right. No, that wouldn't be right. That, <laughs> that, that, that wouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Richmond Webb, follow him at Richmond Webb. Uh, we really appreciate you doing this. We're going to get this campaign going, uh, whether you like it or not. We're going to we're going to we're going we're gonna to drag you into this thing. We're going to get you uh, considered more seriously for next year. Obviously, Zach's on our list, too, because I think that one is is uh, is ridiculous. I, I, I just don't I don't yeah. understand when, when you look at the numbers for Erlocker and Zach. You know, I don't know how one guy's first ballot um, and the and the other guy is not strongly considered it just doesn't make any sense to me so uh we're, we're gonna push that too maybe we can get you in the same year that would be great uh but again follow him at richmond web and and certainly we, we'll be looking for you uh this season for your thoughts on, on some of these guys and hopefully uh this offensive line laramie tunsil they have uh you know they put it together the way that you guys did we really appreciate the time richmond hey thank you and i enjoy being on the show thanks guys On Three Yards with Harry, we give you a little bit of culture. I'm in Edinburgh for the world-famous Fringe Comedy Festival, which is essentially a cornucopia of comedy, and I am scouting for talent. Do you measure their 40 time or uh, get their vertical? No, pretty much not, unfortunately. Is Benny Hill there? Benny Hill's dead, buddy. (laughs) We also give you the finest in news and analysis of your Miami Dolphins. Listen to us every Thursday and soon every Tuesday and Thursday during the regular season on your favorite podcast provider. Josh Darrow here, host of the Five Rings podcast, where it's always a cane sting on the Five Reasons Sports Network. What are we about? Pretty easy. I want to tell stories and I want to share the journey for the players and coaches, past and present, affiliated with the University of Miami. Take Manny Diaz. He grew up in Miami. He grew up going to the Orange Bowl. It was, you know, it was all those 1980s teams. You know, that that's where it all started for me, and just just the style of play, and and really, it was it really took hold when Jimmy Johnson was here, and you know, sitting there in the Orange Bowl in '86 when we we're whipping Oklahoma, and just you know what I mean, just just speed and then violence. You know what I mean? It, 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 you know, we're not only you know, you know, Nebraska it was a changing of college football. It's those kind of memories we want to share with you. Listen, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate the support. The Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a cane sting, and we're always a part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours... The energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.